How are we? Good, I hope. Some of you might be wondering why you have two inserts this week. Uh, Last week, I was able to master the copier and get it on front and back. This week, I couldn't do it. And by the time I realized I was unable to figure out the copier, I had enough to put in the bulletins. So that's why you have two. Um, And the the questions sheet is to help you think about uh, what we talk about here on Sunday morning throughout the week. Uh, yeah, yesterday I couldn't get the copier work to work. This morning I spilled some coffee on myself on the way over. It was, you know, rough times for me. <laughs> uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. Uh, we're going to continue working through it, uh, starting with verse 6 on down through verse 22. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Do you know in 1936, the New York Times said that a rocket would never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. In 1955, Variety magazine said that rock and roll would be dead by the end of the year. In 1948, Mary Somerville said that television wouldn't last, that it was a flash in the pan. Some of you probably remember some of this. I don't. Western Union wouldn't buy the telephone from Alexander Campbell because the device had too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. A record producer told the Beatles in 1962, they had no future in show business. We don't like your boy's sound. Groups are out. Four-piece groups with guitars particularly, they're finished. That's what the record producer said. The point here is that we don't know the future. We don't know how every event in the world works together for God's purposes. But as followers of Jesus, we have the benefit of knowing that God governs our universe for our good and for his glory. And so we can face whatever circumstances arise in our life with joy as we stand firmly in Jesus Christ. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, who is the main character in Ruth, if you remember, we'll find this week becomes very, very bitter. And it's not because she doesn't understand that God is in control of all things. It's because her theology is a little bit truncated and that she, she thinks he's in control of all things, but she forgets that he's good. She knows that he works supernaturally through the natural, but she doesn't know that he works supernaturally through the natural for our good and for his glory. That's the the one big thing this week. What I want you to think about as we work through the text today is that God works supernaturally through the natural for our good and for his glory. We're going to see that this morning as we uh, see God work through nature in verses 6 and 7, through people in verses 8 through 18, and through circumstances in verses 19 through 22. Before we get into all that, would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set your love on broken people such as us. On people so unworthy of your grace. People that are entirely unlovely apart from Christ. Yet you have chosen to remove from us our filthy garments. Put on us clean garments. Beautiful white. Lord, we thank you that you have made us acceptable in your sight, that you have called us holy, that you have declared us righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, apart from you, 
we have no chance at salvation. No chance at true peace, at true joy. No chance at the good life. Lord, we know that the good life comes only through knowing you. We just pray that you would use this word to enliven our hearts, to edify us, to encourage us, and hopefully to make Jesus known to us. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. So if you remember last week, we're going to pick up the story from last week, uh, and it's kind of on the heels of disaster. We had Elimelech and uh, Malone and Kilion and Naomi. They all leave uh, Judah, and I'm sorry, they leave Bethlehem to go to Moab. So they leave the house of bread during this time of famine in order to preserve life. And they get there, and Elimelech, the patriarch of the family, dies, leaving Naomi and her two sons. And things start to look up. The boys find themselves some wives. And then ten years later, they both die, leaving Naomi with only her two daughters-in-law. And in this society, we mentioned that without sons, without a husband, your prospects of having hope were hopeless. And so that's where we we meet Naomi again, is she's seeing her life as somewhat without a future. In verse 6. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people. And given them food. She set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. See, Naomi had left Judah to escape natural disaster. And then Moab experienced a disaster in her family. They had left to preserve life. And then Moab lost life. Now she was ready to begin her journey home. Because she had heard that the Lord had provided food to his people. God had sent the famine after all, and presumably this was to cause his people, Israel, to turn from their wicked ways and turn back towards him, to start living in the way that he had called them to live. But they didn't do that, though, and many like Elimelech would simply uh, not only depart from God, but depart from the land. They left to escape famine and to preserve the family, and they ended up losing the family. Now it's years later and God had visited his people. He hasn't forgotten them and he graciously provides Israel with food. And the word for food here in Hebrew is actually, it's kind of funny, it it can be translated bread. Which Bethlehem, the place they left, the place that had famine, means house of bread. And so there's a little bit of a play on words going here. Bethlehem, the house of bread, was empty. There was no food in it. And so they left in search of bread. And now they hear that there's bread or food back in Bethlehem. The house was empty and God had filled it. Now, not only is God gracious in providing food for his people, despite their lack of repentance, but he also extends this grace to Naomi. He allows her to hear of his blessing. We're able to see God's hand at work, sewing the fabric of Naomi's story together. She is deciding to return home. God indeed had sent the famine. He had numbered the days of Elimelech and his sons. God sent the rain. God sent the word to Naomi that she might hear that he had visited his people. God's actions are decisive in the sequence of events here. 
He's governing all these things to the end of achieving his divine plan. He's acting supernaturally through the natural. He has power over nature. He's made a way for Naomi to return home. I imagine that once she left Bethlehem, she never imagined that she would return to it again. But upon hearing that rain had come upon the people, that bread had come to the people, she recognizes that her best hope for a future would be to return to her homeland. Think likewise, God has made a way for us to return home to him. On this side of the new heavens and the new earth, we all will struggle with sin and inevitably stray away from him, the good shepherd. Thankfully, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, we've been healed. Thankfully, even though we were straying like sheep, Jesus has now returned us to himself, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Thankfully, if we've followed him, if we've placed our faith in him, we know that we are his sheep and that we know his voice. And that voice always calls out to us to return to him. Christian, he offers to you the the chance each and every day to repent of yourself and turn to him. Will you return to Jesus this morning? Will you forsake all those things that you've troubled yourself with this week, those things that you've worshipped as God instead of God, and come back to the shepherd and follow his way for you? Non-Christian, would you turn to him for the first time? There's a way for you to have peace with God, to know true joy, a way to come home for the first time, to no longer be separated from or alienated from the Lord our God. And you can do that this morning. God uses natural disaster and agriculture to move along his divine plan. He works supernaturally through the natural for our good and for his glory. Naomi is returning home, which takes us to verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Naomi loves her daughters-in-law. I mean, to the point that she calls them simply my daughters in verse 11. Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they've been through some stuff together. They've lived life together for 10 years. They buried men they loved together, and they're a tight-knit group. Naomi's telling them to leave her and to return to Moab out of her care for these girls. She blesses them, tells them to go home, get remarried. They have lives to live. She wants what's best for them. And their best shot at a better life is certainly not with a widow in Israel as aliens. They should return to their homes and start over. It's only practical. At this point, the women are hugging and weeping and the tears are flowing. You know, it's notebook-level emotional right now. It's, it's really um, emotion, emotional, I guess. They're, they're embracing. It's a hard time. And Oprah, or Oprah, <laughs> Orpah and Ruth both say they're not going to leave Naomi. 
think this kind of intimacy and friendship is very rare, but it's also very wonderful. It's a gift to, from God that we ought seek. And it's the kind of fellowship that we ought seek with one another as God's people. It's a fellowship that goes through life's hardships together, that bears one another's burdens. It's a friendship that pours our lives out for one another. And my hope is that we would pour our lives out for one another as these women have done and do here. We should embrace fellowship. We should embrace friendship. Naomi's not deterred by their refusal to go back to their homes. And so she tells the girls that, hey, it's foolishness for you to come with me. Let's think about it for a minute. If I did have a husband just tonight and tonight I got pregnant and it was a boy. Would you wait all those years for that boy to grow up and then be married to him? No, it doesn't make any sense. You should go home. It's only practical. Tears keep flowing. Still, the situation is intense, and Orpah eventually concedes to Naomi's argument. She makes the practical decision and returns home. Ruth, however, is uh, she's not so practical. And she takes a risk here. She clings to Naomi. And, I see, and, and Naomi says in verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after her. Do the same thing as her. She's made the right choice. And this is a point of decision for Ruth. Will she do as Orpah has done and return to what is familiar, what is practical? Or will she stick with her mother-in-law? Ruth makes her choice and she replies thus famously. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord God do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. With radical self-sacrifice, Ruth abandons every base of security that any person, let alone a poor widow, in that cultural context would have clung to. Her native homeland her people, even her own gods. She is giving up everything to follow Naomi. Her loyalty to Naomi would require her to leave everything that she had ever known. Her commitment would be a physical commitment. She would live in a new place, a social commitment. She would become a part of a new people, a people in mind that wouldn't like her very much. After all, she was a Moabite, and Israel doesn't much care for the Moabites, if you remember. Her commitment would also be a spiritual commitment commitment. She would forsake her gods, her idols, and follow the one true God of Israel. Think like Ruth, we must forsake everything when we come to follow Jesus. We must take our hands off of our own lives and give them over to the Lord and submit to his will, submit to his way of living life. Have you forsaken your idols and your own way this morning? Have you given up everything to follow Jesus? As Ruth gives up everything to follow Naomi. Friends, we ought to forsake our sin and follow King Jesus. God uses this natural conversation between Ruth and Naomi and Orpah and Ruth's natural personality to work out his divine plan. 
He's working supernaturally through that which is natural for good and for his glory. Naomi realizes that she can't be rid of Ruth so easily. And in verse 19, we read, So two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. No doubt Naomi's relatives and the whole town had heard of the grief she had experienced while in Moab, that her husband had died, that her two children had died. And so when she rolls into town, it becomes a buzz with excitement. The whole town seems to be talking about it. Is this really Naomi? Is she really back? One can imagine Naomi and Ruth walking through the town and feeling smothered by that sound of whispers all around them. I kind of visualize it like this. They're walking through and Naomi kind of gets into the middle of town and eventually she's so frustrated with everybody talking about her that she just raises her voice, says, yes, it's me, Naomi. But don't call me Naomi anymore. That name means pleasant. Call me Mara. That name means bitter because the Lord has dealt very, very bitterly with me. I left full. Now I'm empty. And everybody says, well, that's pretty awkward. And they go on home and Naomi and Ruth continue on their way. Now, first here, I want to say that I admire Naomi's honesty. She's upset. She doesn't pretend that everything is okay. She lets everybody know that she's hurting and that things aren't going so well. I think it's kind of refreshing. I mean, how often have you asked somebody, hey, how are you doing today? And they just responded, terrible, doing awful. Like, very rarely does that happen. It's almost always, oh, I'm good. Things are all right. Uh, Somebody will tell me they're fair every now and then. But never do I get, oh, terrible. Things are awful. I'm really going through a hard time. Could you help me? No, it's refreshing to see Naomi's honesty. And she shows us here that it's okay to not be okay. You know, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with hard things in our lives. We all have bad days. And it's important to remember in those times that it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to live there, but it's okay to not be okay. You don't need to pretend like we're people without worries or fears or shortcomings. We don't have to pretend like we're people that have life all together. We're not. We can be honest with one another and admit that we're not okay. And that we need to return to the Good Shepherd daily. We can admit that we need help living this Christian life together. Her honesty is refreshing. Naomi's bitterness, however, it's not so good. Not such a good example. Bitterness is indeed sinful. And it will do nothing for us but wilt us. There's no point in clinging to it. I mean, why is Naomi bitter after all? 
Well, it's because she, she believes that God's sovereign. She, she's lost her family, and she believes that he's dealt very wickedly with her. And her doctrine of God is incomplete, right? She, she says, hey, he's in control. He knew that I would lose my, my sons and my husband. But she's missing that God is good. She's forgetting that he is governing all things for her good and for his glory. He's working all things to conform her more and more to his image. He's moving along the divine agenda. We can't divorce one area of our theology from the other. If we just have God's sovereignty and we forget his goodness, we'll end up bitter. We have to keep in mind all areas of our theology together. They all interlock and inform one another. Can't have God's sovereignty in a vacuum. If God is good and he governs all things, then we can trust him with our lives. We can trust him to work all things in concert for our good and for his glory, no matter what the circumstance. When things fall apart around us, we can trust the Lord is conforming me to his image through this event. It's for my good. Now, Naomi's going to be able to see how all that works out for her good, but sometimes it doesn't work that way in life. Sometimes things are just bad and we just don't know why. But because we know that God is good, we can trust him. We can trust him in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering. And trust that he's good and that he knows what's best for us. We can trust him and therefore face any circumstance with joy, even the most difficult ones. Every circumstance in this life will give us the chance to trust God and face it with joy. The joy that comes from knowing Jesus is our security and that Jesus cannot be taken from us. With the knowledge that those circumstances are working us into his image. They're helping us to become more like God. They're helping us to become more deeply satisfied in the gospel. And we can choose that blessing or we can choose curse. We can look at it in a short-sighted manner. Say, I can't figure this out. Lord, you've dealt so bitterly with me, and so I'm mad. We can ultimately get bitter or better. Hard times in life, suffering in life will come. And if we're in Christ, we can face it with joy. That's why Paul says uh, famously in 1 Corinthians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, hey, if I just believe I can fly, then man, I can fly through Christ who strengthens me. It's not what he's saying. Before they said, I know what it's like to have everything, to have plenty. And I know what it's like to be shipwrecked and have nothing. But I can face all circumstances with joy because of Christ. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing who Jesus is. I know that this life is temporary. And that day by day, God is working all these events. He's governing all these things for my good. So that I might be more like him. And less like myself. Less like that sinful person that is passing away. As the Lord makes all things new. As he calls me to be in practice what he's declared me to be in truth. That is righteous. That is a new creation. We can get bitter or we can get better. And it is a choice to trust the Lord daily, to trust the gospel daily and let it make us better, to rejoice in what God is doing in us. 
versus resenting his work and resenting our circumstances. Friends, don't simply hang your heads and feel sorry for yourself when suffering comes. Yes, weep, but weep with tears of joy, knowing that God is working all things for our good, for your good, and for his glory. Don't get bitter, get better. Naomi's circumstances are extremely difficult and If she judges fullness on the basis of how big her family is and how well things are going for her, then she is indeed empty, which is her um, conclusion about herself. She said, hey, I went away full and now I've returned empty. But her vision is wrong. She's basing her worth on her family and on the things that she has. She's basing her worth on her circumstances. I think the same is true for us. If we judge the fullness of our lives and our value based on how much stuff we have or how big our families are or how well we've lived out the American dream, ultimately, in the end, all of these things will let us down. They will fail to satisfy. They will leave us empty. Finding identity in anything other than Jesus will leave us empty. Nothing else satisfies like fellowship with the God of the universe. Because that's what we were made for. The creator created us for worship. We are made for fellowship with God. And what happened when sin entered the world was that that worship got distorted so that we aim our worship towards stuff. Towards money and sex and power and drugs. Towards the over-exaltation of family and things. We look for our satisfaction in places other than the Lord our God. That's what sin is. It's a worship problem. When sin entered the world, the posture of our hearts went from being God-focused to being worldly-focused, to being self-focused. And when we follow Jesus... And build the meaning of our lives on Him. We find our satisfaction in Him. The posture of our heart is made right. The posture goes back to the place it was supposed to be. When we return to our God. Jesus emptied Himself so that we might be full. He died so that we might die to sin. And He lives that we might live to righteousness. He took the punishment that we deserve to give us the reward we don't deserve. Peace with himself. Friends, Jesus took hell to give us heaven. And he alone will satisfy. He alone will give us fullness. He alone gives us life and life abundant. He alone gives us the good life. Naomi thought things were going to get worse She couldn't see how the Lord was working, and so she got bitter. But God was determined to make everything better. She knew he was sovereign, but forgot that he was good. She knew he was supernaturally working through the natural, but she didn't understand that God works supernaturally through the natural for our good and for his glory. Naomi would see his goodness and see his glory soon enough. The barley harvest was beginning. 
and God wouldn't leave her without a redeemer. He hasn't left us without a redeemer either this morning. He hasn't left us empty. He's offered to us fullness and knowing Jesus Christ. And so I exhort you, know the fullness of knowing Jesus. Know what it is to truly live. The good life is not money and sex and power and respect. The good life is knowing Jesus. Do you know him this morning? You can. You need only follow him. Take your hands off your life and submit to his will. Christian, have you returned to the shepherd this morning? Do you know him newly, moment by moment? Are you trusting in him? Are you meditating on that glorious gospel, that glorious truth that God has set his love on you? Know the fullness of knowing Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are good to us. And that we can face this life with full confidence and full hope. Knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead. And likewise, we too shall rise from the dead. With full confidence, knowing that he has taken from us the heart of stone. And given us a heart of flesh. He has called us out of death and into life. And that we can have life abundantly with you even now. Already. And Lord, we know that not yet is your kingdom here in its fullness. Not yet do we get to experience perfect peace and perfect life. But we look forward to that day when you bring the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth in its fullness. We thank you for that promise. We know that you are the great promise keeper. And we know that you are working supernaturally through the natural for our good and for your glory to bring about your perfect promises. And we rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior, this morning. Amen.